I searched for God with heartthrobs of despair, neath ocean's bed, above the vaulted sky. At last, I searched myself, my inmost I, and found him there. Henry Wood, American author, philosopher, and psychologist. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast, season three. I'm your host, Henry Cameron Allen, and I am very excited to delve into part two of a great conversation around spirituality and psychology with Dr. Uh, well, Reverend Fatty Farino <laughs> and Dr. Dave Roberts. And uh, they are the co-authors of the book, um, When uh, the Psychologist Met the Minister. No, what was when the psychology was professor met the minister. Yes, I was close. I was close. You're close. It's a great book. And I hope you've had, welcome back, first of all. Uh, it's Thanks. been a year since we last had this conversation. And back then, and I hope listeners will go back and listen to that episode uh, last season because it was so profound. And, you know, like Pat was saying, we, we, we have a, a, a wonderful free flow form uh, that's very organic and we allow for that water of of wisdom and and spirit to flow through this conversation um tell me how things are going i i i hope your your book is the number one bestseller on the new york times list now <laughs> not yet no, not yet <laughs> not yet we're not yet we're working at it it has been an interesting journey with the book um What's been, what's been interesting with the book is that the number of reviews we've gotten have been extraordinarily positive in terms of individuals saying to us, and these are professionals, students, people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. saying that it just opened their eyes and they're up to a whole different perspective and how to look at life and death and life after death. Um, a lot of us, I think, a lot of individuals and lauded us for the courage we had in bringing our story to the forefront because we both sat on our experience for about 10 years before we decided to put it out in the right. public but you know the thing that has been gratifying for us though the book hasn't been hasn't made the number one you know number one in the, the new york times bestsellers list people that have read it it's had the intended effect that we wanted it to have Plus, with our story, there's no expiration date. We published this on my daughter Janine's transition date on March 1st, 2021, when she transitioned March 1st due to cancer. There's no expiration date for, for, for that kind of a story. Anybody can pick this up, and it's going to be relevant in a year or so. Um, but we've had a lot of other doors open up. There's been book signings. There's been podcasts. In addition to your podcast, I think Patty and I, I mean, I have done together and separately about 15 or 16 other podcasts. Um, there have been opportunities for us to, to, to do book club meetings, to speak. So it's, it's opened up a lot of different doors. Um, and it's also, you know, helped, I think, both of us branch out personally and also realize and continue to realize for me that. I'm certainly not in charge, but spirit is in charge. And I've learned over the past year that, you know, spirit is spirit's going to take me where I can do the most good. And I'm just going to let it flow organically. And to, 
to be wherever I need to be. I'm still teaching at Utica University Wonderful. and I'm teaching at Pratt School of Art. Um, my passion is working with, with young adults. I, I, you know, to, to try to inspire them to, to be the best version of themselves. So I'm doing the things that I love and um, the book has been just another vehicle to, to, for that as well too. And, and open up some, some other opportunities I had a marvelous opportunity to present how I integrate psychology and spirituality um, at the Teachers College of the Mind, Body, Spirit Institute of Columbia University. It was a virtual online conference. Wow. I had a chance to do a half hour presentation and that opened up directly because I sent, you know, we sent a, um, you know, a, a blurb out about the book. The director, it resonated with her and she invited me to, to, to do, a, do a talk. So a lot of different opportunities have opened up um, personally and professionally. That's fantastic. I hope um, I hope someone recorded that presentation at Columbia. Um, and, and I don't I, I think on they, YouTube or something because yeah. it's so important this 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 conversation, uh, which is why I invited you back for a part two because I, I felt like we only scratched the surface with part one. Um, Patty, tell me how about Shadow and Light Coalition and where you've come in the past year. Um, it's interesting because um, the Shadow and Light Coalition came about because um, people that had read the book, um, some people definitely aligned with Dave and because it was written from his perspective because Dave always said he wanted to share his experience with me with others because it was so different you know understanding spirituality and that you don't have to be religious and follow a specific path but you can dabble he, he loved the idea and with that people would call and want to speak and i said to dave the idea is both of us him with the psychology and me with the spiritual um because of spirit because of my connection i become an instrument mm -hmm. and i can say things uh, it, things come through me. It's not like I'm coming up with it. It comes through. And I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, you get that, right? Oh, yeah. How did you know? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just saying words. So with Shadow and Light Coalition, David and I work together in saying, let's open this up so that if anybody wants help, getting through a challenge, or they're stuck in their life, or they want to have a better grip on the psychology as well as integrating their spiritual practices or, or their or spiritual yeah, or, questions. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Or experiences that they never could work with. We've had people um, that immediately called up and said, we'd like to see you. So David came up with the idea. Well, let's do it. You know, there's nothing out there like that where you have somebody that's got a psychology background and somebody that's all spiritual. I have no psychology background. And Dave does, you know, Dave has learned about the spiritual. So if somebody calls and they're interested, it goes under, it's on the page, Shadow and Light Coalition. And this way it helps to them to decide. Dave does an evaluation. He speaks with them and has an idea of what they want because that's more of the psychology, doing an evaluation. I jump in and it's like, okay, what's gonna come through? <laughs> and so intuitive, in other words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. intuitive, in other words, from your perspective. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think psychology also requires a certain amount of intuition um, about human nature and about behavior uh, <laughs> patterns, 
that emerge that perhaps stem from the uh, person's foundation. Yeah, and, and I think it does because a lot of times, you know, I tell my students, trust your gut. And a lot of times they're going to be working with an individual. And I, and I will tell them, you know, that with individuals, certain individuals, you go by the book with others, you throw the book right out the window, but that's where your intuition is going to come in. Whatever energy that that person is emitting at that particular time is going to dictate the intervention that you do. And it may not be conventional, but again, conventional wisdom is highly overrated, particularly with the, with the paths that a lot of individuals who seek services have, have walked, is that you know, traditional book stuff or theory does, does not work as well as an intuitive practice. And a lot of times, you know, I, and, you know, I, you know, I tell them, trust your gut. Your gut is 99% of the time going to guide you to do the intervention that's going to be most meaningful and that's going to exponentially increase their awareness in the moment. You know, I've been on a major transition throughout the last three years, I would say, with regard to my nutrition and finding out from a firsthand experiential experience that, um, that your gut directly affects your mental health and mm. what you put into your body has a chemical reaction that's directly connected with your brain. And uh, I've been starting to do some one-on-one -on -one counseling around nutrition and I always come back to that, that phrase, touch, you know, trust your gut, because um, <laughs> when, you're, when you're in tune with what your body is feeling and how your body is reacting to what you're, the fuel that you're putting in it, um, you're, you feel, uh, one feels, I feel, I can only speak for myself, but I, I believe that with proper experimentation, which we should all feel free to do, whether it's nutrition, whether it's spirituality, or whether it's your own psychology, to experiment with your own unique system so that you find that connection to self with a capital S as a whole person, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've been through that myself. I've yes. been through the same thing myself. In fact, I'm going through it again right now. You I both look great, eating... by the way. <laughs> oh, thank, so you. thank you. Um, I, I've just, I've had too much, too many acidic foods in me. Yeah. And it's, and I could feel it in my stomach. I had to be careful what I was eating. And yeah. I know I've been through it before. I've had Lyme disease. I've been acidic before. And, and then it starts to affect your bowels. And once it starts to affect your bowels and it's working its way out, your whole body, you can't think straight. You're tired. You don't have the energy level. You can't focus when you wanted to, when I wanted to do a meditation. Mm -hmm. I, and I had to just shut everything else out and focus on the self and focus on what I was putting in my body. And it's just been the last week that I had to regroup because my body showed me, uh oh, you know, this is not good. And I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you do, you learn, you learn to listen to your gut. Mm -hmm. You learn by experimentation. And again, it's gonna vary from person to person. Um, I'm not a medical doctor. There's my, my disclaimer, um, but, I, but I, I know what has worked for me. And I went from a 44 ways to a 33. 
in less than two years. And it's not about the weight loss. I've all, I've never had body issues. I've never had a feeling of, mm -hmm. oh, I'm fat and ugly and all that. I, what it was for me was a manifestation, kind of like in your house, you know, you think of someone who's a hoarder, for instance, it's, it has a direct correlation with your inner world, mm -hmm. right? What manifests in the outer world. And I think our physicality is a direct manifestation of our inner world as it is expressed to the outer world, right? Mm -hmm. My energy is completely boundless now. I don't have to drink coffee anymore. I have it once in a while because I like it, not because I need it as a drug to keep me awake. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's something I enjoy from time to time. I don't drink it every day, nor do I drink tea. Um, but the biggest one for me and, and uh, just to clarify, I went from being, you know, generally balanced and omnivorous, you know, kind of a balance of plant and animal foods and uh, only eating organic whole food, even when I was in the States. I'm, I've been in Europe now four years, hard to believe. Um, I noticed a huge difference when I came to Europe, a huge difference in the quality of the food. It is so far superior in Europe than America. And most Americans don't realize that the quality of the soil in Europe is so far superior to the quality of soil in America. These huge, enormous one crop farms, you know, for corn and wheat and soy that we see in the heartland of America, it's destroying the soil it's destroying the ecology and so all those things that we're turning to plants for uh don't exist the way they did 100 years ago or 200 mm -hmm. years ago when our grandparents and great-grandparents were farming the land you know and replenishing the land and so i i went from that balance of plant and animal to a an animal-based way of eating so i barely eat any plants now and I know that's kind of radical, no, but no, my no. body led me there. And this is what the point I was trying to get to was that the biggest effect that it's had on me, not just the weight loss, not just the energy, but it has cured my depression mm -hmm. completely. Of course, that makes sense. It, yeah, it makes make sense. sense. Because I, you, yeah, it does make sense. Because I think there's hey, some- Talk some... about that. Talk about your knowledge about, about the correlation between diet and depression. Well, I, I think, you know, and I'm not an expert in terms of diet. I know from my own, my own perspective, I went on a, um, a healthy lifestyle change back in February of 2021. I had gotten up to 252 and a quarter pounds. Patty knows this. And it got to the point where I had a moment of reckoning. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, if I'm going to continue to do what I need to do at a high level, what I want to do at a high level, I, and I need to have a, a stronger mind, body, spirit connection. I think all three are, are, are connected. Yep. So I went on, um, I went on Noom, you know, the lifestyle. And I yeah, did that. I've heard, I've heard about it. Good things. Yeah. It worked well. It changed my, permanently changed my relationship with food and I lost well over 70 pounds. I'm down to like 178 pounds now. Wow. And I, I feel great. I still love my coffee. I haven't been able to, <laughs> but I think for me, as far as mood and as far as energy goes, I think the foods that I have, like I, I eat a lot of berries, which are high in antioxidants. 
Yeah. I eat a lot of food that are not high in processed sugar anymore. A lot of protein, that kind of, you know, you know, eating that type of processed food has got to affect mood. It's either going to either make you hyper or, or, or with some forms of depression, hyperactivity is a part of the deal. Yep. It's going to weigh, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to interfere with sleep. And all of those are related to how we, I believe how we, we feel mood wise and depression wise. And it's and, really hard with the way that, that the world is working right now with all the anxiety and stress and yep. fear, fear that has gripped not only America, but in, in every country we have these, these challenges. Um, you know, we, we have to pay attention to compulsive, you know, turning to sugar, yeah. uh, which is in all processed foods, which is in all plant foods, right? We yeah. don't realize that, that yeah. a carbohydrate is a carb is a sugar mm. and it's not just bread and pasta that are carbs it's everything from the plant kingdom and, you know, it, and then, your body doesn't know the difference between a salad and a chunk of no. chocolate cake it oh. really doesn't you do psychologically mm. you do you're looking at the difference and because of what we've been fed uh in terms of what health food is we think we're doing well by our liver and by our body but the truth is that our liver produces precisely the amount of glucose that the human body needs to function. And that's really why we eat. It's, it's fuel for our, our organs to function. Yeah. And so if we're overloading our liver with sugar, right? We don't require, this was, this was a huge mind blow for me. And this isn't me looking at the, the diet gurus out there, or the YouTube videos. This is me going into nutritional studies, really, you know, onboard scientific information. Um, human beings don't require any extra carbohydrates for anything. Our liver produces precisely what we need for our unique mm -hmm. system. And you look at our ancestors pre-agriculture, which is, again, agriculture is only 10,000 years old. We're physiologically exactly the same as our ancestors 10,000 years ago. And the fruits and vegetables that they were farming at the beginning of agriculture 10,000 years ago look very different to what we are eating today. They were small, they were astringent, they were bitter, and they weren't these big, beautiful apples and, you know, shiny, green, fluffy lettuces. And it, it's nothing compared to, it's kind of like, I equate it to dogs. We all know that dogs came from wolves. And over the course of human history, we have bred them for particular purposes, mm -hmm. right? And we've changed. Some dogs are smaller, some dogs are bigger, some dogs have short snouts and bigger ones. So it's the same with food. We've done the exact same thing to food through agriculture. Oh yeah. Right? Our ancestors, when they ate plant material, it was ceremonial or medicinal. It was in much smaller dose doses. It wasn't the staple food, animal. They were running naked across the savanna with a spear, trying to get the biggest woolly mammoth that they yep. could find. Yep. And they ate the organs before they ate the muscle meat because it's where the, that's where the animals store the nutrition from the plants that they eat, the grains and the, and the greens that they eat. They have four stomachs to process all that. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. we have this one tiny little sensitive stomach, right? So the, the cow ate my salad for me and I'm all the better for it. <laughs>
Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. For, but from a from a spiritual perspective, talk mm-hmm. a little bit, Pat, about the connection to nature and the cycles of nature that we as physical beings require the consumption of living foods. Oh yeah. In order to sustain our own lives. Yeah. Well, basically, number one, the the connection to nature. That's what the source put here for us right. to be a part of the source, God, um, whatever name you want to put it under, but the creative source put the nature out there. Number one, walking out among it. Um, Native Americans would go out and they would only take what they needed. Right. They, you know, the indigenous, and then I say Native Americans, the indigenous people. They only took what they needed. Okay. So when they saw that bear that they were able to take down and it wasn't, you know, with bullets, it was with, like you said, the spears, the arrows, and they honored the animal before they would move it. They would thank that animal. It's almost like going back to that movie Avatar. Yeah. You take the time and you thank the animal for the sustenance that it will bring to the community. Or the plant. You can thank the plants too. There's exactly. no there's no difference in terms of, of, of living between mm-hmm. a, a, a buffalo and a Brussels sprout. They're both living beings and we can yep. express that gratitude for the life that they are sacrificing or that for us to absorb that life into ourselves, right? Yep. There's a responsibility it's- to it. Well, something that I had read in um, this one book said that when they would go to take something from, they'd have a group of, let's say, blueberry bushes. Mm -hmm. They would only take, they would ask first and listen to their intuition, and they would only take from the biggest plant. They wouldn't take from all the little ones and grab everything, which is what our farming is now. You go in and you take a whole field. I'm in farm country now. And I see the process of them going through and stripping down. Yep. It's not a gratitude. So if that's just um, grown, just because it's a livelihood, and let's just say the person that's doing it is angry because they have to do it because they're third generation, but they really want to be in an office someplace. <laughs> that's going to affect it. Yeah. Because that life form, that corn plant, um, that raspberry bush, wasn't treated with respect and honor as it was growing. And so it goes in and it goes through machinery, it goes in the process. And by the time it gets to us, there's no nutrition that you're going to be intaking and taking care of the body. 
That's right. And it's the same with livestock, isn't it? It's exactly the same with livestock in these huge factory farms that are not treated well, that are not romping the grass and the sunshine. You know, when a, when a ruminant animal, and that means an animal that grazes from one space to another, they're not stuck in one uh, barn. Ruminant? Ruminant? Yeah. Okay. Ruminant. Right. That okay. means they're roaming. They're roaming. And okay. these are the animals that have multiple stomachs. These are the animals that are when you go back to uh, animal husbandry in terms of farming and where I am in Spain is a very remote rural uh, place that has that still use ancient practices in their animal rearing for food and whether it's goats or sheep or cattle these animals, you see them romping in the countryside, happy as can be, right, in the sunshine. And they don't, uh, you know, they're not stuck in a barn, a dark barn with no sunlight, getting fed buckets of That's grain cool. and corn and all that, mm -hmm. you know, and those things are all are genetically modified, right? And they're being fed growth hormones and other, you know, things uh, to supplement their food so that it makes them fatter. So it looks nice in the market right yes. yeah. um, people, thing, uh, people think that bigger is better i remember when i was younger chicken cutlets you would buy a small chicken cutlet and now they're like this i won't buy the big ones because i know there's a gmo in there someplace that's right well <laughs> and you can look at a steak if you eat red meat which i think is is key chicken on on the totem pole of of nutrition is actually the lowest in oh, terms really? of nutrition. I've learned so much and I'm so happy to talk to both of you about it because I, I do think it has both spiritual and psychological implications, the way that we approach our food, right? Um, you can look at a steak and by the color of the fat, you can tell if it was grass-fed or grain-fed. If you see a, a, a steak, if you look at yeah. a steak behind the counter, right? Um, and the fat is, is what we're told is supposed to be optimal, right? It's bright white and there's all this marbling, you know, and fat is flavor and all that. Well, if it's bright white and marbled, you know that that animal was grain fed. Okay. And if it's marbled meat, like Wagyu is for a, a good example is, is the highest end of, of meat that you can get now, right? But that's indicative of, of a diabetic cow or not a diabetic animal if it's marble. So you want the fat to be on the outside rim of the meat, not permeating within it. Think of us, we're made of meat too, right? Mm -hmm. If we had a bunch of fat going through our muscle, we'd be very concerned, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so to see ourselves reflected in the animals that we're eating is another part of this association uh, and, and feeling a oneness with nature, right? If we saw that in a scan of our own muscle, we'd be really concerned, right? Mm -hmm. So we should be looking at that. If the fat, on the other hand, is only around the outer edge, and if it's from pale, like beige to deep golden, you know that that animal is getting more keratin. They have been grass-fed and grass-finished through from birth to death. They are fed grasses and herbs out in nature. They're getting sunshine 
And it's, it's so clear when you look at that meat, right? It makes what sense. that animal was it eating. Sense, yeah. I mean, this is totally logical, but I completely had no idea until I started researching and doing my homework. Mm. And once I found that and I started buying only the highest quality ruminant meats that I could find in organs as well, um, that, that it took me, it took it to a whole other level. And people say, well, how can you afford to eat that way, Henry? Because my grocery bill is, you know, people say to me is through the roof. I can I can barely make it as it is. And you're telling me to go out there and, and buy the highest level of meat from butchers and farmers direct, you know, I say, yeah, but you know what? You're going to be eating a lot less. My grocery bill today is a third even with all the inflation, it's a third of what I used to pay for groceries. And the butcher wraps it in paper. I generate no plastic waste. Yeah. Wow. Talk about another mm -hmm. thing that we need to be talking about in terms of our life skills, how yeah. we're feeding the planet, right? All fish now that comes from the sea, even wild caught, is permeated with microplastics. Salt, the same way, sea salt. We think that sea salt is better. Yeah, it's better than table salt, but it is permeated with microplastics. And those don't get processed out of your body through the liver. Those accumulate in your body. And we wonder why we are so sick, mm -hmm. right? And this feeds yeah. the, the medical industrial machine of Mm -hmm. uh, you know, medications and things that we're required to take. It raises our blood pressure, it causes all these problems. When it's just taking a half step back and being curious about farm to table and quality, mm -hmm. the quality of the lives, whether it's plant or animal, that, that started how it was raised and cared for, that's, that's an energy that we put out there. Yeah. Yes. Right? If the farmer uh -huh. loves its animals, <laughs> if the farmer loves their plant, mm -hmm. their orchard, and the process and, and the, the cycle of nature that allows them to cultivate these things, to share with the world in a healthy, wholesome way, that comes through, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. When you send mm -hmm. your plants, they're healthier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. it's, it, it's so true i've been saying that for years and it's so funny now about the the meats i've learned a lot um i at one point when i was younger i had lyme disease and um the doctor had said to me my, my whole system was a mess and he said to me i want you to read this book because i have ab negative blood mm. it's rare wow. apparently apparently in the book it, and when the book was written back in the God, it was before David. So it was somewhere in the 1990s that I'd gotten the book. It's Eat Right for Your Blood Type. Yes, I've heard of that. Absolutely. And, and I read through that and it was saying that for somebody like me, I do better with more plant-based. So I started looking into organic plant-based, but I loved, always loved my meat. Right. And always. I loved the carbs. I loved spaghetti. My husband's Italian. That was something that was so I had to make two meals at one point. Yeah. One for me and one for him. Right. And I had to be careful about what I purchased and exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. When I was buying for just him, I could buy less and buy it organic. Mm hmm. 
than if I went into the supermarkets and bought their big family pack. <laughs> exactly. Well, which is wrapped in plastic. Hello. You don't <laughs> and the styrofoam. Out, it's outgassing oh. into your food. Of course it is. Of mm -hmm. course. My grandmother used to say, when you go shopping, she, I love my grandmother because she taught me a lot of foundational life skills. And one of the things she taught me when I was a teen, she would take me out grocery shopping. She said, do all of your shopping on the outer perimeter of the store because everything in the middle is poison. Everything in the middle comes from a factory, right? It's not a plant. It comes from a plant. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and it's processed, you know, it's it's processed on one level or another so it could be boxed or That's canned. Right. That's or packaged. Right. And it's there are many different ways of processing food. I mean, mm -hmm. even the butcher, you know, or the milk or cheese you buy, you know, those are all processed. And so, again, you have to do the best you can with what's mm -hmm. available to you. But when you start this journey of awareness about what you are putting into your body, it's no mistake that old adage, you are what you eat. You mm -hmm. are what you eat. Mm -hmm. Food should not have ingredients. Should food should be an ingredient that my yeah. grandmother used to say. That's, right? that's a good saying. That's a great I saying. I love that. She had a lot of good ones. <laughs> Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, athletic performance, focus, memory, immune system support, and REM level of sleep. All this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, no injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products. Scientifically proven to work and guaranteed. Now in the USA, Canada, and the UK, Visit www.dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com. That's Vox, V-O-X-X, life. You'll be glad you did. You know, and the same effect, another angle of it is when you're thinking about what you're putting into yourself, you're yeah. thinking of the self. You're thinking of the wholeness to make me well. What I'm feeding myself, it's about the wholeness. Mm -hmm. And that's another part of it, that it's not just about the food. You could be doing that and eating on the run. And you're not going to digest. You're not going to think about it. If you're just putting it together, it, it, it's, yeah. it's really about living totally aware of what I am choosing to do for me. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, and then you think back of the history, how it evolved from the 1950s, yeah. you know, how it changed. Uh, my husband always has on Smithsonian channel yeah. and now with um, Juneteenth and talking about how the slaves really were the first mass producers. Yeah. The, the people, and, and when I say slave, it wasn't just um, the, the African-American people, it was Hispanic, it was Native American, and it was poor white people. Mm -hmm. I've met one of my closest friends down here, her father, 11 kids, they were a sharecropper. Right. And they went to school. She's my closest friend right now without shoes. Yeah. Her well, father said, cool you, will, you will go to school. This is the lifestyle that she lived right here in South Carolina that everybody had to work the fields because that's what they ate was what was from the fields. There wasn't a supermarket. 
and she's 71. So that's in our lifetime. So you that's- know, I, I have a theory too about how uh, enslaved people survived. Oh, I'd love life, to hear it. The life that they had, because they were, they were very most often given scrap food. They were given the skin and the organs and the things that the white, you know, people did not, the people who were enslaving them did not want to eat for themselves. Those were the scraps that were given to the enslaved people. And those are actually the better foods for overall health. Wow. When you think about the vitamins and minerals in liver, in kidneys, in stomach, in heart, lungs, tongues, brains, all those things that most white people will shudder to think about eating. You know, I'm one of them. <laughs> chitlins, you know, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the intestines, you know, all of those things are actually the optimal human food for the, for the optimal functioning of our systems. Why? Because when those animals are eating those things that are hard for us to digest, grains and grasses and things like that, you can't pick up a, a, a stalk of wheat and chew it or rice that's raw, right? Corn. That's a, that's a or corn. Those those are very uh, dried corn, especially. There are, you know, processes that they have to go through to make them even remotely digestible to the human system, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as little as ten thousand years ago, when these these vegetables, these plants were very very different, our our ancestors were not grazers. They were hunters and gatherers, hunters first, right? So eating for your blood type could have, that, that could have an effect on the balance of your particular system. And again, I'm not one to proselytize. I'm not a medical expert. I know from my own experimentation that what worked for me and for my system, and I'm not saying everybody should eat the way that I eat, but I am saying that I encourage people to experiment and find what works for you and tr treat it as a sacred act. We are all part of the same mechanism. We are all one. Mm -hmm. We are not separate from nature as we have been taught. Mm -hmm. Nature doesn't need humans. It's the other way around. Yes, we yes. Nature, we require nature and we require recognition to be part of nature. And so to, to approach it that way in the simplest form, um, but, but to recognize that no matter where the geography are more of our most recent ancestry, we all come from hunters and gatherers and hunters first, they would gather plants and take them in medicinal doses. Think of a tea, right? Or a de decoction or a concoction of some kind that helps you when you're sick. Those are the medicines. Most modern medicines, even though they're synthetic, hello, are based on plants medicines from all over the world. There's been a lot of study on this, breaking down those compounds, finding and creating the same compounds that are in the living plants in a synthetic form and then selling it to humans as medicine. Mm -hmm. 
But when we look at our indigenous brothers and sisters around the world who are still turning to nature for medicine, tree bark, leaves, roots, shoots, right? All those things. And if we start to assimilate those practices into our own life and lifestyle, I think that's still possible to do, even in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm in America. I have, I take no medication. I have a natural healing book that when something comes up, um, I actually use the natural healing book to help me to figure out, okay, well, what's going on? I personally, I think Western medicine is great for diagnosing. Yeah. It's great. For, it's got great diagnostic oh, techniques. Absolutely. And absolutely. when you yeah. find out what it is, then go into the self, go into what am I feeding my body? How can I do this better? Because you know, even a hundred years ago, there weren't medications out there the way they are now. And now the Western medicine, I, I once had a doctor because I was very sick at one point in my life. And my doctor, um, when I was telling him, listen, I'm reading a lot of stuff on natural healing. How do you feel about that? He says, let me tell you. And Dr. Grimes was the most amazing doctor. He said to me, I was trained and most doctors here in the West are trained with Western medicine. And Western medicine is about techniques. It's about medications. It's about surgery. It's about diagnosis. He says, we don't learn anything about the natural healing. He says, but when I was in medical school, there was one man, that, uh, a man that came from China and he was an acupuncturist. Yes. And he, th- he said to our professor, well, have you ever tried using acupuncture instead of anesthesia? Right. And he says, well, if you want to try it. So they got permission and there was somebody having a tonsillectomy, he says, which is a very painful procedure. And he said, uh, he says, when he said he gave this student permission to use his acupuncture and everybody was involved, he says, I went and I sat in on that class. And he said, I watched this man spin a tiny little needle in this guy's thumb. And he went out under and they did that procedure. And he woke up when he stopped spinning, the guy woke up, nothing. In no result, and, and this doctor told me this back in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Listen, when, when Cameron was going through his cancer journey toward the end for pain management, we went to an acupuncturist, a Chinese and Chinese herbalist, and it changed the game. And I was kicking myself because I had been so ignorant, you know, and every hospital is going to be unique. They're going to be different. They're going to have a perspective. I do know that most Western medicine training programs do not approach nutrition at all as a healing modality. Some are starting to call what they used to call alternative, alternative medicine, mm-hmm. right? So acupuncture and, and herbalism would, would, would fall into that category of alternative. They're now starting to call it complementary medicine, which complements Western medicine. It's not an alternative necessarily, but it is complementary. Do you know much about that? What about your journey, um, Dave? Did you guys did you guys use any complementary methods in, in with with Janine? No. Janine? Um, we weren't we weren't aware of the power of complementary medicine. We weren't aware of uh, you know the benefits of, that acupuncture could have for pain management so it was really just traditional western medicine based therapy yeah but 
Um, so, you know, we didn't, I, I discovered, you know, the joys of complementary medicine post Janine. Um, I went to an acupuncturist um, and I could just see just in terms of the individualization with what she did with each of my treatments, you know, she would plot specific meridians based on the particular presenting problem I had at that point. Right. And it really made a, uh, a difference in mood, energy. I could feel the difference. I go to a shamanistic holistic practitioner currently for, for, you know, for energy healing and for, um, you know, she'll do soul journey with me as well. I still have Western medicine. I do take medications. I have, I've had a seizure disorder since I've been a young child, but I haven't had a seizure since the mid eighties, but I still take specific medicine for cholesterol, um, prostate health but I do complementary as far as supplements, gypsum, milk thistle. So I kind of mix the best of, of West with these. It's kind of more of an integrative approach, which right. really right. suits my philosophy at this point, mixing you know, traditional science with other complementary healing methods, which is great for me. That's, that fits my existing belief system. Um, and I've noticed the difference, I think, in my own life. Um, I... At 66 years old, I feel healthier than I ever felt at 36. I'm saying and, at 56. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing you mentioned, mind, body, spirit connection. I think yeah. if we take care, if we take care of the body, whether it's through proper nutrition and exercise, I think our energy levels and vibrational levels are, are ex, 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 increased to the point where we could be more open to the synchronicities of the universe or more open to I think intuitive messages, and I think we are capable of connecting to something greater than ourselves, and see and can see the importance of spirituality in our life better when everything is in sync. In fact, research has shown that individuals who place a high importance on spirituality, that by itself is a protective me mechanism against individuals becoming depressed. Um, that. Um, individuals' quality of life are better if they feel connected to something greater than themselves. Um, which is why even in the classroom for myself, I mean, what I'll do is I'll tell my students, I'll say, look, I don't know your histories coming in here. I don't know the challenges you've had to transcend in addition to being a student. I said, so I want to create an atmosphere that's safe, that's inclusive, that's welcoming, that's stress-free so that you can learn or Better yet, if I can give you a 50 to 75 minute respite from what's going on in the world and what's going on with yourself, I've done my job. And I've realized that what I do by doing that is create a, a setting where everybody can connect to each other and perhaps connect to, to, to something greater than themselves by just simply creating that type of atmosphere. And it's even those little touches that can, I think, set the, the stage for, you know, for individuals really connecting on a spiritual level, not only with themselves, but with each other. A guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wire. In terms of life skills mentoring, you're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet. But I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. 
I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. Well, and that's the common ground we all stand on as human beings. That's Mm -hmm. universal. It doesn't matter where your ancestry sprung from. It doesn't matter what life you were raised in. I, I hear in my clients a lot of people going back to the excuses of their own limitations saying, well, that's how I was raised. You know, my, my comeback is, well, who's raising you now? You are, you're raising your own inner child, right? You have the opportunity to heal. But, but here's the other thing too, is that we can empower ourselves to take a look at how we were raised differently. Yeah. We can empower ourselves to do that. I mean, I can share something very quickly if that's okay with you guys. In Please. terms of Patty, and Patty and I, Patty and I talked about this anyway, um, and I think you remember in the book, in our book, when I talked about basically the shadow of my father. My father had left when I was five years old. Yeah, um, I looked at his leaving at that point as any young child would look at as an act of abandonment. I thought he did not love me. I thought he did not love my mother. And with Patty's guidance, almost fifty-five years later, I realized that his act of love was actually an act, his act of abandonment was actually an act of love. He could not stay in a traditional marriage. It was not inherent in his DNA. Mm-hmm. His family history, thanks to a cousin that I found on my father's side through pure serendipity. Wow. Um, Is that there such a thing? <laughs> yeah, or, or synchronicity or the divine, synchronicity. The, the, the divine yeah. plan, however you want to look at it, whatever your belief system wants you to look at. Um, she gave me, she filled in the blanks of my, our father's side of the family is that his, his, my father's side of the family, there were individuals who were not capable of emotional attachment. They had a history of alcoholism they had a history of mental health stuff going on. But the bottom line is when you demanded emotional attachment, they'd leave. And my father, once emotional attachment was demanded from him, he left. But once I began to understand that, I was able to, with a ritual guided by Patty, end up forgiving him, which I believe liberated his spirit. So powerful. Well, this gets even better. Okay. This gets even better. I think when we open ourselves up to understanding that we're all on spirit central time and that spirit is in definite control. And when we open ourselves up to the synchronicity that the universe will, will, will show us, we, we open ourselves up to synchronicity on a whole new different level, particularly when we're releasing any expectation of having more than we got. I had been raised as an only child for 66. I was an only child for 66 years. The wonders of ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. My cousin got in touch with me and said, I think we have located somebody who is a sister. And she goes, we're pretty, we're pretty sure that you have a sister now. Wow. And, um, and the, the, apparently the, the DNA analysis that, that they did 
that was done was the fact that that she was definitely we were definitely brother and sister and this was from another relationship that my father had had um so we got in touch with each other um and we have had a great relationship i have discovered more dna family um yeah. i have not only a sister but i have a niece i have a nephew and i have three great nieces all out in new mexico the great state of new mexico and yeah and so essentially my father was the gift that kept on giving you know after he had left when i was five years old and he still is i had always wanted him to be a father to me and i wish he could have been a father and he couldn't the human experience that he lived did not allow him to do that but in spirit he has been more, he has, he has been a father to me and that relationship has continued. It has been stronger. And, you know, I love him now as much as the mother who raised me for all of my, and I'm getting a chills just talking about this. I'm kind of sensing he's around, but yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's something that, you know, we are, we can be empowered to look at what's happened to us differently. But the other piece of this is that, and this, this is all where, the synchronicities if patty hadn't introduced me to crow medicine during our initial you know marathon conversations and crow is honor of the past is your teacher out of the present is your creation and out of the future is your inspiration if i hadn't committed to looking at my father's past and looking at it from a divine perspective which crow teaches us to do had i not done that i might not have been as accepting of my sister it might have taken me a long time to get by beyond that because I would have been looking at the rules of, of human law, which is, you know, thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. And what I looked at is that my father's way of spreading love was physical. It wasn't through emotional attachment. It was through his physicality. And wow. that's how he showed his love. And this was, again, through conversations that we had, I had with Patty that were ongoing. And this is, but is that once we open ourselves up to synchronicity, if I can, in, in, you know, impress that to, to your listeners, the universe opens up in ways that we never even expected. Well, and this is all about universal life skills. How do we get through not only our time, but every time, past, present, and future? You know, we have that capacity. We know that time and space are not constant. We know that all of them convene together. <laughs> We live in our imagination. Anything that is in the past only lives in our imagination. Mm -hmm. Anything that lives in the future lives only in our imagination. The only thing that really is in existence is this moment right here. You know, we, we tend to forget that as we are growing up with our parents, we are witnessing their growing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are learning, they are growing, they are dealing with the skills that are in their toolkit at the time. And if they had the capacity to do better, they would have, right? But doesn't that lead us then to a different state of consciousness where we often learn from our parents who we don't wanna be mm -hmm. or the skills that we need to ramp up in our own journey with other people. Patty, would you talk a little bit about this crow journey? Because it's, is that on your, uh, on your shadow and light coalition website? Actually, um, no, that comes from a book written by Jamie Sams. 
Okay, I'll put a link in the in the description. Okay, um, and, and, and Crow is um, basically in Jamie Sam's book, Medicine Cards, she talks about Crow. And the reason that Crow became important to me personally, when I was first introduced to this, I had done a workshop with a gentleman by the name of Sparrow Hart back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And when I was at the workshop, he hands this book to me. And, well, everybody had to pull a card. And it was the very first time I was ever introduced to it. Mm -hmm. And when he, I pulled the card from the deck, I pulled Crow. So what happened was we went around the circle again and the gentleman in front of me had to read Crow to me. Well, it brought me to tears mm. because in the book by Jamie Sams, she describes, and she wrote in that book stuff that she learned from other indigenous elders. Mm -hmm. She went around, I would say the Northeast, North America, and she met indigenous elders that taught her different things and she prayed on it i actually heard the story that after she'd written all of this down she went and she prayed and said am i supposed to publish this and she had a miraculous sighting this is what i heard on yeah it, this is all hearsay i don't know directly from her but mm -hmm. she decided yes i'm supposed to because remember the native americans didn't share their culture with us they didn't trust the white man because of what they had done to their people, to their lifestyle, to their culture, to their way of being. So mm -hmm. I go by, and that's how I was introduced to it. And when the gentleman read it, I started to tear up because it talks about crow medicine is abiding by sacred law, not what the human law is. Okay. And everything that's happened to you in your life, you honor your past. I call it my, my it's my birth family. I came into this life with my birth family to learn things, to understand things, to view. I had, you know, four siblings. There were five of us, my mother and my father. I look back and I can remember observing who they were and their responses to things and how I could always try to alleviate any tension or drama that was going on in the house. That's what I always felt my role was. Mm. Oh, how can I make this one feel better? Oh, that one's personality is like that. Those thoughts were in my head from my sacred friends. Right. And then it got to a point where the way I was with them as a child no longer fit who I wanted to create and be who I was in today. Because my vision for tomorrow was something different than what I saw as the child. So it's on a, in the book, Jamie Sams, she talks about in this one part, it's the reversed meaning of it. And it says, honor your past as your teacher. Yeah. So for each of us to look back on, whether it be traumatic, whether it be love, whether it be challenge, whether it be a moment where you felt beaten up, you got through that moment. You got through that chapter. You got through that experience. So now don't look back on it with horror you look back on it and say, how did that allow me to form the ideas of who I want to be today? Right. Honor that moment because it showed you you are resilient or it showed you how to be uh, accepting or how to be loving or how to be compassionate or how to be present for the next person in their traumas and dramas. That's right. Honor your past honor every moment because it helped you to decide who you're going to be today. And if you look at who you are today and you're not happy with it, well, go back and find a new narrative.
Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. So where do you want to be tomorrow? Do you always want to be where you are today? And that's, I think, a big thing, especially for the young people with the high rate of suicide for mass, I hate to say it, but those moments where they're so angry that they go in and they take other people's lives because they are not in balance and, and at peace with themselves. Right. No matter if they're a 70 year old man or a 20 year old, right. they're not at peace with themselves. And it's because of something that they're carrying with them from their past. So if they could find a new perspective on what they came through. The whole thing of Juneteenth, it's looking back and we want a new narrative. We, those people, those ancestors persevered through something that they had freedom at their fingertips, but they had to wait for a president to actually come into Texas and say, this is it, you release them. You are a part of this union and we no longer will allow slaves. We already freed them and you're not, yeah. you're mm -hmm. not, you're not following what we have, uh, we've mm -hmm. directed you to do. You know, I think we should all be celebrating Juneteenth because you look at the impact that those enslaved people, the descendants of those, of those enslaved people have had on culture. Yes on the development of humanity, right? And what, what has been really living in me over these past few months, especially leading up to Juneteenth, but also yeah, a little bit before, a couple of years ago, I, I signed up for, uh, uh, to support a, uh, a YouTube channel called Home Team History. And it's all about African history. Really? It's the cradle of humanity, East Africa. We all carry that DNA of our common, that's our common ground, that's our motherland, that's all of us have a vested interest in Africa. Mm -hmm. And recently it was brought to my attention that there's a young man, 28 years old um, in Uganda who has felt a calling to rescue children from the streets of Kampala which is the capital city of Uganda. And practically single-handedly, he's caring for 34 children that were orphaned, the products of child rape, the products of abandonment and abuse. And he's rescuing them off the streets. I get tearful thinking about it. And um, a mutual acquaintance put me in touch with him as a, a mentor, as a, I guess, a father figure in a way. And, you know, I don't ever want to be in a situation. I've worked with indigenous communities in Fiji, for instance, and I've worked with others around the world. 
And I don't want to be the big white American guy saying, all right, little brown people, here's how you do it, the American way. Um, it all has to come out of who they are and their own biographies. Yep. And um, if I can, with the tools that I have as an individual, with African roots, as we all have, um, I deep dived my DNA and I was able actually to identify some of the tribes uh, in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda that I my people sprung from before the diaspora out of Africa. And so I have I've found a vested interest and to me a degree of obligation and responsibility to find a way to support my brothers and sisters wherever the opportunity arises in Africa, um, because they are the future of these children, these children who are left for, it's in Kampala, it's actually illegal, and you will be thrown in jail if you are caught giving food or drink to street children. No. Vulnerable children. Um, and he does it anyway, but wow. he, he has out of nothing, created an, an exceptional movement, I think. And there are many other people, there are many churches who are doing similar work. There are other individuals who feel called to this work. He was the one I was guided to. And so I am I'm now I've been volunteering for the last few months. I developed a website for him, um, you know, telling his story, sharing photographs of these beautiful children. And he wants to provide a foundation under their, their lives for the future. They are the future of Uganda, these children. They are the future of Africa. They are the future of the world. And how can we give them the springboard, right? The foundation is everything. And we can only look to our own foundations for reference, each yes. one of us individually, and say, okay, these are the tools that I've gleaned. It wasn't easy to earn these tools, but I have them. And so I can bless my ancestors. I can thank bless, you. I can bless them and thank them for, and my parents for the lack of tools that they had in their time, right? That gave me the tools that I have in my time that mm -hmm. I can then pass along to the next generation. For years, I've turned on the television and the internet and have felt bombarded with messages of support, begging for money to support children in Africa, Afghanistan, India, all over the world, war-torn countries. Children are starving, not only for food, but for education and love in some cases. Um, I recently connected with Desire Childcare Organization uh, that transforms the lives of orphans and vulnerable Ugandan children in Kampala and Mukono by providing wholesome food, housing, health care, and creative arts education from early childhood to adulthood. Won't you join me in helping save orphans and vulnerable children? We can do it together, one organization at a time. I chose this one. Visit desirechildcare.org for more information. Thank you. So as we wrap up here, I can't believe an hour has passed. Another amazing, yeah. amazing conversations. Um, as, as always, I ask to reflect back on the things that we've talked about. 
If there's anything that stands out to you that you want to reiterate or uh, something maybe we didn't cover in part two of this conversation that you would like to offer as a practical tool uh, universally that anyone in any country anywhere in the world uh, can can put into their kit. Um, I, I think for me, the whole discussion about the past, a lot of times we get focused in this society on living in the present and mindfulness, and I get it, it's important, but everything that our, every decision that we made in the past, our background, I believe, dictates what we do in the present. It's like the old, one of the teachings from my favorite book on the afterlife, the afterlife of Billy Fingers, is all roads lead to ultimately, so I'm paraphrasing this, all roads ultimately lead to the same place, the present moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, every decision that I've made, everything in my past, my past history has dictated the person who I am today. We can't deny our past because to deny our past is to deny our existence. And we can't do that. You know, we need to, we, to honor the past literally as our teacher and for what it stands for and look at it for what it can teach us, not for looking at it with regrets on things that we should have done. And that goes back to not only your past, but your parents' past and their yep. parents' past and all the way right. back to our right. common African mother. All That's the decisions right. that were made, all the choices that were made have led us to this conversation in this yep. moment. Absolutely. Right? There's, a, there's mm -hmm. a study called epigenetics that talks about how our DNA carries ancestral memory in it. And that is mm -hmm. so important to all of us become historians and find yep. out why we are the way we are. It's a culmination of generations upon generations of people and choices and situations and tools. Thank mm -hmm. you for that, Dave. You're welcome. You, Patty? Thank you. Oh, I reflecting back on just this conversation, the one thing that came in every every point that was brought up is nowadays because of social media the younger generation are focusing on how i look out there and it's not about how you look on there be the author be the writer be the main character of your own book think about what how much time you take to go and sit and look up at the stars and think about and in that moment that's where you think of your ancestors think about who you are and how small you are in this big giant world. And I say that because, you know, it's, it's something that I've heard you say, Henry, <laughs> is, you know, how minute I am in this big world, but go back into being you. Then think about what you feed yourself. Think about how you feed yourself. Think about the choices. Think about the self and how you are writing your book. And then look at the people and the characters that you have in your book. What drama they bring in, what love they bring in what experiences they bring in and be sure of who you are in the midst of those characters. So for me, you know, like, and even when Dave was talking about finding his sister, he had to find a new narrative about how he was going to be. He's now not an only child. 66 years as an only child. A lot. And yeah. now family means something totally different. I've seen this man evolve since his sister came into the picture big time evolve, right down to how he treats his family, his sons, his wife. And I've been witness to that. Even how he's treated, that has all changed 
just because he is not an only child anymore in his relationship. And he looks at it as I've changed. I've evolved because he started looking at his own book. You, you looked at your own book and you said, I don't like the form that I'm, my soul and my spirit is existing in. So what do I need to do? I started to, you started to focus and look at yourself. And thus four years later, a huge evolution. Huge. Like in your story. And, and that's not going to mean anything to anybody else, but to you as the author and the main character of your book. So I think what I would like to leave with any listener is yes, watching the podcast. Yes, keeping up with your Facebook page. Well, I don't keep up with my Facebook page and you both can attest to it. It just sits there and I go on every once in a while and just see what shows up and check on things. But I don't, it's not about what I want everybody else to see in it. It's about the experience and me being the main character and the author and consciously being the author of my book. And I offer that to everybody. Make sure you're taking time first, you know, every week, then start doing it three times a week and then find yourself every day saying, oh, I haven't taken time for me today to think about how I eat, Mm -hmm. the sense of who I am, where did I come from, honoring where I came from, who do I want to create, oh, what do I hope for tomorrow? And look to hope for tomorrow. If you're looking for tomorrow and feeling down, then you better do some self-reflection and find out how you can change your perspective and come up with a new narrative for your life. We've all had to do it. Yeah. Everybody at some point or another, even that young man in Africa. Ugingo, has, Ugingo Desire is his name. He had to stop and look. Yeah. What's my narrative? How am I the main character in my book? And then he started affecting all those other, all those other young children. Amazing. Changing the course of their future, you know, and we all have that power. Thank you, Patty. That's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, we all, those of us that are in this, on this path of, of being helpers in the world. Um, and again, speaking for myself, I know I have a savior complex. I know I want to help as many people as I possibly can. That's why I do my podcast. That's why I have my my guy wire mentoring uh, service that I provide. And, um, you know, it's but I, I always have to come back to and remind myself that if I'm not filling my own pitcher, how can I keep pouring out at other people? That's right. And a, a, such a great tool for people who don't know what practically to do to start in that practice of self-evaluation. Uh, journaling is a really great tool, actually literally becoming the author of your story. Write yep. it down, keep it next to your bed so that when you have a dream that might be, that might have some kind of wisdom or message in it, jot it down, wake up and jot it down, go back to sleep, you know, or if you carry it with you in a little pocket size notebook, keep it in your pocket all the time, because you never know when you're going to be hit with inspiration, right? Jot it down and literally become the author of your own book. All the books that we've referenced, by the way, as well as uh, links to uh, the Desire Child Care Organization in Uganda, I will put in the description below so that our listeners can explore 
all of the tools that we are learning from. Um, I'll also put um, uh, Jamie Sam's, uh, a link to Jamie Sam's books uh, in the description as well. Um, I want to thank you both. This was another glorious conversation between friends. Yep. Uh, it really, I, I want to do a part three, maybe <laughs> in, in a little less than a year's time. Yep. <laughs> this year has passed so far. And I think more now than ever with the state of the world, these conversations are vitally important. Mm -hmm. if we're doing this authentically as we are. It effortlessly gives others permission to do the same. Yep. Let's find one another and uh, keep the conversations rolling. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Thank, Thank you, you, Andrea. It was always a pleasure. Any time spent with you is always uplifting, always. Yeah. yeah. Every time. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for inviting and, us. And we're, I think time we're ready for a part three. I'm, I'm, I'm always good for a part three. <laughs> Great. We will see you next time. You Thanks got it. Namaste. Namaste. You've been listening to season three of the Lost Traveler podcast with your host, Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to all my guests and thank you to my listeners all around the world. I couldn't do this without your support. Let's keep striving for a better world together.